take your scriptures, turn to the book of Job, chapter 1, please, for our reading this morning. And let us look to what the Lord would say to us. Job chapter 1. And while I'd like to use references that will be found in other chapters, I want to begin with verse number 13. And I want to talk about dealing with difficulties. Have I had any? Okay. Live long enough and you will. Don't wish them on you, but it's just a fact of life. And we must deal with them. And so what happens is, brothers and sisters, Satan does a wager with God. He does a wager over the person of Job. And in this wager, Satan says, Job's only serving you for the good times. But if you let trouble come his way, he'll change his mind about you. And so, though that is the conclusion of Satan, God says to Satan, wait just a minute. Now, I know we're a little distracted because of the care, but look at me just a minute, everybody. God says to Satan, not everybody serves me for what they can get. Okay? Not everybody treats me like some Santa Claus up in heaven and they send me their wish list and live like they want to. Uh, God says to, to Satan, Job's like, he's one of those guys. He'll serve me in the good times and the bad times. He'll love me whether I give him any more or take all he's got. And Satan says, you got it. Let's see if he will. Verse number 13, chapter 1. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Meaning Job's sons and daughters. And a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabaeans raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Verse 16. And while he was still speaking, another came also and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels and took them away. Yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell on the young people and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head. Sign of grieving is this. He fell on the ground. And of all things, he worshipped God. Can you believe that? But there's more. Verse 21. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this. What does it say in all this? In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. I want that to be said of me in trials. How about you? Amen? Thank you for being seated. Keep your Bibles open to this reference. I do not want to uh, be laborious in retelling a story you might already know. But I don't want to assume that you already know it. Because the power of the knowledge of this story 
can revolutionize your life. But let me highlight. After I read all this to you from verses 13 to verse 22 of the continual reports of tragedy after tragedy, loss after loss in Job's life in the same day, then it's not hard for us to surmise that there was a man dealing with difficulties. And let me say this. There's probably not a one of us here who know Job's story and have experienced life's circumstances that probably hasn't said somewhere in our life, I feel like Job. Suffering, I mean. And yet, let me say something else to you. There's not a one of us here, me included, who have suffered near as deep as Job suffered. And I'll explain that to you because the Bible talks about the reason for Job's grief. And when it speaks about the reason for his grief, it tells us, if you will, that Job lost all his wealth. Describing the depth of his loss, up to this point, Job was a very rich man. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 200 donkeys. And if you took that livestock and put it on today's livestock market, it would be valued over $6 million. I may say that's rich. Job had scores and scores of employees to watch over his livestock and other provisions. But in one day, due to violent crime and Natural disasters beyond Job's control. He had been robbed of nearly everything. And Job didn't have any insurance to replace his belongings. Nor did he have any possibility of a lawsuit to regain his stuff. In one day, Job went from living in the penthouse to the poorhouse. He lost all his wealth, all his employees who faithfully worked for him. But that's not all. His grief was further compounded when the Bible said he lost all his children. He had seven sons and three daughters. Job loved his children. Loved them all. Whether you have one child, two or five, or like in Job's case, ten. You love your children. Can I get an amen, parents? But in the same day he lost all his wealth, the Bible says that a greater tragedy happened to Job. Because in verse number 18, please, chapter 1, it says, While he was still speaking, one person bringing bad news, while he was still speaking, another came in and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind, like a tornado, came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, meaning Job's children, and they're dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So Job is forced to deal with the most difficult type of grief. The most difficult type of grief is to suffer the unexpected loss of a loved one. But he doesn't lose one child, as terrible and horrible that is. He loses all ten in the same day by natural disaster. But that's not enough for Satan's attack on Job because the Bible said he lost all his wealth, he lost all his children, and then he lost his health. You see, in this wager between Satan and God... Satan says, you know what? You hadn't attacked. You hadn't let me have my way with Job like I want to. Because if you do, you'll see he'll curse you and die. So let me afflict his body. Let me touch him personally. And Satan had already touched Job personally. Now Satan wanted to touch his body, but 
But I don't know of any more personal way you can cause somebody to suffer than when their children die. Or their spouse. Or their parents. But God says, I still believe Job is a righteous man. I still believe he loves me. And he's not just a good time only Christian. So go ahead and attack him if you want, but you cannot kill him. And so here's what the Bible says. Chapter 2, please, brothers and sisters. It won't all be on the screen. But chapter 2, look at verse number 6. Are you there? Say amen. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. Verse 7, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he, Job, took for himself a pot shed, which is a piece of pottery. He took a pot shed with him to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. The point being that the only way of relief, now Job is so, he's lost his wealth, he's lost his children, now he's losing his health. And the only relief he can have is to take a broken piece of pottery. And when these boils became so painful and so, so oozing and such, and I don't want to create a distaste in your mouth, but it's real what he suffered. He could only, the only by, by, by lancing them could he find any relief. But now he was covered from his head to his foot. Matter of fact, brothers and sisters, the Bible talks about how grievous his suffering was. Now look at chapter 2, please. And verse 11. Now when Job's three friends heard of all his adversity that he had come upon him, his three friends, each one came from his own place. Eliphaz the Tamanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. Now with friends with name like that, I don't think there'd be a whole lot of comfort. Because if my mother named me that, I'd look for somebody to comfort me. But it, be it as it is, it said in the, lat, in the latter part of verse 11, For they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. But verse 12 and 13 talks about the depth of his grief. And when they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize him, they lifted their voices and wept, and each one tore his robe, which was a sign of grief back then, tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head, another sign of grief, towards heaven. Verse 13. So they sat down with him on the ground for how many days? Seven days. And how many nights? Seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Now, let me tell you, that's a lot of suffering. These are Job's three friends. We think that they're his very close friends. They hear that he's lost his livestock, he's lost his children, he's lost his health, and he's probably on his way to losing his mind, and they thought that we are his friend. And the Bible says they came to visit him. And, And when they saw his suffering, they couldn't even recognize him. I mean, I don't know whether they saw him last week or last month, but, you know, sometimes we are away from one another and we, we don't see each other for a week or, um, or maybe longer, maybe two or three months or half a year. And, and sometimes in us being gone from each other, some people lose stuff and some people add stuff. And when we come back and we come to visit, we don't really recognize them. But, but it's not like Job. Job has so many boils on his body. His face is disfigured. His, his flesh is, is, is so distorted. His weight has been reduced. His hair and, and all. They don't even recognize. And when they finally recognize him, they throw ashes upon their head. They tear their clothing. And he is suffering so much, they don't even know what to say. I mean, listen, listen to this kind of stuff. For seven days and seven nights, they're all four of them. His three friends and Job, they sit and they look at each other because they are so baffled by his grief. How many know you can suffer so much you don't even want to talk? How many know you can suffer so much you don't want nobody talking to you? 
Oh yeah. So this is the kind of depth of despair that, that Job goes through, goes through. But there is something here for us today. This story is probably 2,000, maybe 3,000 years old, or even longer than that, actually. Because Job, we are told, might have been a contemporary of Abraham. And if he was a contemporary of Abraham, this story might be as much as 5,000 years old. But yet on October 18, 2009, the second service on Sunday morning, God allowed you to come here because He wanted you to have lessons from the life of Job to change your life. The first lesson is this. The time to prepare for suffering is before suffering. Now, I know that's a given, that's a no-brainer, but listen to me and let me explain. You and I need to determine today how you're going to respond because it's easy to lose our perspective when trouble shows up, especially unannounced. When trouble comes into your life, sometimes it becomes so overwhelming like Job. And so, all at one time. That you might go into a panic mode. How many know you don't make good decisions in a panic mode? When you are under stress, the stress of financial loss, the stress of physical loss, the stress of marital conflict, the stress of a child or children with the wrong crowd, or on drugs, or alcohol, or in prison. When you are given the stress of a, of a negative report that overwhelms your health, and you get all this at one time, panic may come in, and, and all kinds of physical, emotional, and adrenaline. And if you go to make decisions without thinking about them, you might add to your suffering instead of relief your suffering. Give me an amen sometimes. And that's why you need to prepare for suffering before suffering comes. Job did that. Job's relationship with God God did not start the day suffering started. Say amen. Job was a righteous man. I wish somebody would say praise the Lord. Look at chapter 1, verse number 1 of Job. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. Yeah, what I'm saying to you is, though negative and how horrific it was for Job, for this suffering to come, he was able, although at times vulnerable, to be strong because of his existing relationship with God. The fact of the matter is, Job even prayed for his children that they would be prepared for suffering when they weren't doing right. In chapter 1, verse 5, and look at the screen if, you, if you'd like, or in your Bible. It talks about times of feastings and partyings when the children would come together. And when they had gone around the day of feasting, Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. So Job did always. After a family gathering, after they might have had a little too much to drink, or they shouldn't have been. Although they might have a little bit uh, too much uh, frivolity in their family gathering and partying. Job says they might have temporarily sinned against God or done something against God. And I am as their father, I am going to pray for them. So the next day after their big events, he would give an animal sacrifice for each of their children and say, God, if in their frivolity and their partying and their venturing out uh, a little bit in their flesh, they did something wrong. Would you forgive them for my sake? Can I get an amen here? I want to tell you something, my friends. Some of your children not yet in the kingdom, your husband or wife not yet in the kingdom, they are blessed to some degree because of your relationship with God. Give, give the Lord a hand clap and thank Him for it. Yeah. 
They're going to come in the kingdom. I hope and I trust and I pray they will. But let me, not everybody in America is blessed because they're righteous. And God's not protecting us from terrorism just because every American deserve it. God's protecting us from the further advance of terrorism and some other issues in America because you got people like you on Sunday morning who love God and are serving God. And because you love God, your blessings can overflow and bless somebody else until they realize they need to have a personal walk with God. Yeah. So Job prepared his children just in case they sinned. You know, uh, I, I think that it is important that the United States government and the CDC does what they're doing now about the potential spread of the swine flu. One of our nurses and Mary is here this morning and we have several medical people in our church. But Na- Mary came forward and I honor her for that and thank her for reminding me that we need to, as a church, pray that the swine flu H1N1 will not come upon any of you. Amen. Say amen, church. I know there are healthy people who are being attacked with this and maybe uh, as much as 50% of the population might have this and, and I'm praying that you don't have it. But here's what I commend the government. Thank them for making vaccines available. Now, I know we all have opinion about the kind of vaccine and what should happen. That's your own choice. May God help you to make the decision. I'm not telling you not to take it. I'm just simply saying that if there's a help and it's available and we need to prepare ourselves, then we should prepare ourselves because the time to prepare is before suffering comes. I also would submit to you that in recent weeks here in the Atlanta area, we've had more rain than usual. We've had flooding. We've had what was called a 100-year flood. And, and we find that people have lost property and, and different things because of the flooding. And now the authorities are saying to us, listen, you need to get prepared. When they see the rain coming and they see the, 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 the tributary of the streams and the rivers running into larger bodies of water, they say to us, listen, you need to get on higher ground. The time to prepare for flooding is not when floods here. The time to prepare is before it comes. And so, so now there are people in Atlanta who never bought flood insurance before and they never thought their place would be flooded. But now they think it's wise to plan ahead. I think it's a good thing. I like to listen to Dave Ramsey, financial guru, great financial peace guy, Christian guy. We, we've done his financial peace year uh, in the church. We did it this year and we'll do it again. I, I like to listen to him. He comes on at 6.40 a.m., WGSD, giving a plug for Dave Ramsey every day from 3 to 7. You need to turn off some of them other trash and listen to some good financial advice. Okay? Because you, you, in order for you... One of the things Dave Ramsey says about getting out of financial bondage, he, he says we should take baby steps out of financial bondage. Do little things at a time. Okay? So, he admonishes everybody to have an emergency fund. Meaning... That you should save at least $1,000 in a separate fund that only for emergencies. Now I want to tell you something, friends. You are not an exception. Somebody and everybody at some point in their life is going to have an emergency. Okay? Tires go flat when we don't want them to. Refrigerators make stuff hot when they're supposed to make stuff cold. And you got to repair it. Can I get an amen here? Okay? Things happen. I mean, the dental situation changes or the physical situation changes or something. There, there, are, all, there are all kinds of emergency that come our way. And Dave Ramsey says, if you have money stored up, then you take it out and you don't suffer a setback. You pay for that emergency and you trust that a thousand will be enough and then you replenish it back. Because the time to prepare for financial suffering when it comes or you might be unemployed. Can I get an amen? I mean, if you're going, you might be unemployed. He says, have a six months reserve. You first have a thousand dollars and I'm not trying to give you a course in financial peace, although it's a good message. But I'm saying to you, there's not a one of us here exempt from suffering. So we must prepare. Let me move further here. 
This may not be as a popular point, but it's a true point. God's will for each of us includes suffering. Say what you want to and preach all the positive, positive, positive you want to. But my Bible teaches me this. Write it down. The people of God will be tested and tried. This Bible teaches it. Your Bible, if you have the Word of God. If you look in the Bible and you study some of the most prominent, powerful, biblical personalities and characters, you'll find that every one of them went through a storm, a trial, a test, or some kind of suffering. Abraham did. Abraham was 100 years old and his wife was 90 years old when they had their first child. I mean, that has to be God. How many women thinking, oh God, spare me. Not only women, but men. 90 years old, she was 100. He was, God sent their first child. His name is Isaac. And after he gets to be about 12 years old, God tempts Abraham and says, it looks like you love that boy more than you love me. I want you to take him up to Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice. Now, God never promoted animal sacrifice or human sacrifice, and he did not require it of Abraham, but he was testing Abraham. Did he pass the test? Can I get an amen? Yeah. How many know about Moses? Say amen. You know about Moses? Yeah. You, you know that God sent him to a wicked man called Pharaoh, and every time he'd approach Pharaoh, Pharaoh's heart would be hardened. Every time he'd tell Pharaoh, God sent me here to deliver this people, Pharaoh would put a more hard work on the, on the Israelites who were supposed to be being delivered by Moses. And Moses looked like a laughing stock. The Israelites who he came to deliver said, man, you're supposed to come here and deliver us and you added more trouble to us. We think we're going to kill you. And when you look at the Bible, you look like, like Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den because he prayed to God. He was in a foreign land. He chose not to pray to a foreign king. He chose to pray to God. And his enemies had him thrown, literally, bodily, in a lion's den with ferocious, flesh-eating lions. And God shut the mouth of the lions. And he got him a lion upside the cave somewhere, put his head on the lion's stomach, and went to sleep. Passed the test. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three young men in a foreign land, were told that they had to bow down and worship an idol god that was 90 feet tall and about 9 feet wide, made of gold. And if they didn't bow down and worship that god, they would be thrown in a blazing, fiery furnace that would consume them even within seconds of them being in it. But they chose to trust God. They passed the test. God sent a fourth person in the fire. It was like unto the Son of God. If you'll trust God, He'll be your fourth. Fourth man in your fire. Somebody ought to thank God and praise Him. Listen, you are no exception. I don't care if you got the King James and the New King James and the NIV. I don't care if you got all the, all the different translations in the Bible in your house. You are no exception to suffering. It comes to everybody. Pastor, what do you mean? I mean this. The Bible says, Job said in Job 14 and 1, Man that is born of a woman... And that's every one of you, man and woman. Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. Not only full of trouble, sometimes they cause trouble. But move on, preacher. Jesus said about suffering in the world, you shall have tribulation. It's a given. Now, I'm not saying pray for suffering. I'm just telling you, it's there. But there's a plan to overcome it. We'll get to it. First Peter 4 and 12. Beloved. That's all the Christians. Beloved, beloved of Christ, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Don't, gonna, don't, don't act like, how dare you let this come on me, God? How dare you didn't answer my prayer on time? How dare you didn't show up and give me the money exactly when? How dare, how dare you to say, how dare you, God? 
Jesus himself was tempted. Can I get an amen? Jesus himself suffered. Prove it, pastor. Thank you for challenging me. But even before Calvary, in, in, in the wilderness, 40 days fasting and prayer, then the devil showed up three times and tried to abort the mission of Jesus to the cross. Because the devil knows if Jesus went to the cross, you and I would, if he didn't go to the cross, pardon me, if Jesus didn't go to the cross, you and I would go to hell. But Jesus passed the test, and you can too. The Word of God says about God's will for each of us that includes suffering, Psalm 34, 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous. How many re- think sometimes you reach your limit? I'm raising my hands. But the Lord delivereth him out of them all. James 1 and 12, blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he is tried, you know where I'm going, not if he is tried. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Here's something I didn't put on the PowerPoint. But the Holy Spirit gave it to me early this morning. Is God some kind of a masochistic God that takes delight in my suffering? No, no more than you take delight in the suffering of your children. Now, we got some war parents out there that are either high on drugs or, or high on alcohol that, that delight in the suffering of their children at the neglect of their children. But not God, not God. So why the suffering? Let me show you what the Holy Spirit showed me early this morning. Some troubles come as a way of preparation. Some f- suffering come for preparatory purposes. Yeah. In order for God to complete His great plan of salvation for us, it began through the Jewish people. And the Bible says that at the birth of Jesus and beyond His birth, Rachel's children, meaning that of Abraham's seed, Rachel's children would be crying and weeping and mourning at the coming of the Messiah and could not be comforted. And nobody understood that until Herod made the decree when the wise men came looking for Jesus as a baby. Herod made the decree when the wise men didn't come back and tell Herod where the baby was so he could kill the baby. That Herod made a decree that all boys two years old and younger should be killed. All Jewish boys. Now that was tragic and terrible and many people suffered a loss. But that was preparatory for the coming of Jesus so that all sons and daughters wouldn't have to die and go to hell. Hear me somebody. Sometimes God prepares us for greater blessings by giving us some trials along the way. Give me an amen. Oh yeah. You ask anybody. Any of you ever served in the military? Raise up your hands. Yeah. You served in, in, in the military, and some of you <laughs> served under your mom and dad. They brought you up, and you feel like you've been in the military. But you ask anybody who ever went to booth camp. All the running, all the jogging, all the push-ups, all the, the, the ropes. Huh? Say something, Sammy. Ask anybody. And they'll, they, who wants to get up 5 o'clock in the morning and run 5 miles? But it was preparatory. Because if the enemy is chasing you, you need to know how to run before the enemy comes. Can I get an amen? If the enemy is after you, you need to know, and you lose your weapon, you need to know hand-to-hand combat. You can tell I didn't serve in the military. And sometimes God allows you to suffer 
so that you can be stronger and better for what the devil might want to dish out later. Let me tell you something else about trouble you might want to write down. Trouble can be educational. I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters. Some of the greatest lessons I've learned in my life has come as a result of pain and suffering, some of which I created and some of which somebody else created for me. Oh, yeah. You, I've heard people say, well, well, the psalmist said it the best way, and other people follow his saying. Psalm 119 and 71, it says, David said, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statues. David wasn't saying, it's good I got sick, give me more sickness. Give me an amen here. It's good I got in a car wreck. It's good I lost my job. It's good that my marriage's falling apart. No, he didn't say that meaning that. He said, it's good that I've been afflicted because when I trust God and I tried God and I read the Bible and I prayed and I prepared myself with God, I learned that God is with me in my pain and He loves me just as much and even greater than my earthly parents. Somebody give the Lord thanks. I'm telling you that suffering can be educational. I've only spent one night in the hospital in my 52 years of living. And that was enough for me to appreciate that I don't want to go back to the hospital anymore. Not because the people were mean. But I suffered enough and I got good care. But it's enough for me. When I laid on that bed and I could count the ceiling tile, I thought about people I went to visit in the hospital prior to me going to the hospital and how I might have taken them for granted just because I made a casual visit when I should have been more empathetic. Come on, help me preach here. You don't know how to comfort a divorcee unless you've gone through it. And I'm not asking no praying that you go through a divorce, God forbid. You don't know how to comfort a mom or dad who's lost a child, a son or daughter, in an accident or untimely death unless you've gone through that. Help me out here, somebody. You don't know how to comfort somebody who's lost their job and they had their life set and they thought promotion and raises and they'd retire from this company. All of a sudden, they've been given a slip and said, you're out of here in two weeks. We're closing down the place. You don't know how to walk in somebody else's shoe unless you walk there themselves. You don't know how to comfort them. But thank God, we can learn how to be comforted and learn how to comfort others. Somebody say amen. Let me tell you something else about suffering. Suffering, you want to write this down, can be... The experience of revelations, revelatory is the word, or revelational, R-E-V-E-L-A-T-I-O-N-L. Suffering is revelational. What does that mean, Pastor? Suffering reveals the real you. <laughs> yeah. I want to tell you something about suffering. You, you really find out if you're polished or not. See, on Sunday morning, we're polished. Yeah, we, we, we bring out our Sunday morning look. You know, kids, they just see the, the silliest things, and yet we love them because they're kids. I have kids in the past come up and say, how do you get your head to shine so? What do you put on the head? Nah, that's a good response, but I don't even do that. It's a la natural. But, you know, I washed this head, washed my whole face. I got more face to wash than most of you. But here's the point. It's our Sunday best look. You let trials come. Come Monday. Come Tuesday. And whatever you're full of, yes. If you are full of it, and you've been told that before, you know what I'm talking about. We've all been full of it. And whatever you're full of, it's going to come over when the trials and the pain comes. 
I'm saying trouble is revelational. If you're full of anger, it's, it's going to come out. If you're full of bitterness, wrath, it'll come out. You ever talk to somebody and you might as well go and talk to a bulldog? <laughs> you ever just try to be friendly with some people and, and at church, man, they're so nice and, and, and others, oh, they're the sweetest little something. You let a little child blow in in their life. You call them on the phone and you see them at Walmart. Man, they're so snotty and hateful. You're thinking, did they suck a lemon for breakfast? Eat the rind and all? Hey, let me tell you something. You let trouble blow in your life. It'll show who you really are. And sometimes God allows that because he wants to burn that out of you. Can I get an amen here? Because here's what Job says. I want you to. Job says about troubles. God knows the way I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Let me, let me say something to you about Job. His story is wonderful also because he was very human. He didn't just go through this smiling. Okay, Whatever will be, will be. One day I'll make a movie. No, he didn't say that. He didn't want to live. You read the story. He cursed the day he was born. Few places he got real downright mad at God. He, he, he had some places that needed to be sanctified. Can, can I get a witness here? And, and I'm saying to you, we are like gold when it's first mined. And gold when it's first mined is not the sparkling, glorious 24 carat that you can purchase. It's got impurities. It's got ores and uh, the ore of the gold. It's got impurities. And a good goldsmith knows how to get the impurities out. He'll take the gold and put it in the furnace, heated to maybe hundreds and maybe thousands of degrees if that's possible. And he will put it in a kind of a uh, container that will not be consumed by the fire. And the gold ore, the hard gold rock ore, will melt down to a liquid form and the impurities will rise to the surface of the gold in its liquid form. And the good goldsmith will scoop out the impurities, put it back in the fire. If another film of impurity comes to the top, he He'll scoop that. Anybody know where I'm going with this? And it may take about four or five times until the real gold is there. I want to tell you, when you go through the trials and the sufferings of life and anger and anxiety and, and division and strife and bitterness and unforgiveness swell up, if you will let God deal with that, He will not fill you with those kinds of responses. But if you will confess them, somebody say amen. If you will repent over them, if you will say, thank you God for teaching me, I can be a better father, I can be a better husband, I can be a better mother, I can be a better wife or a better student, because of my suffering. Somebody give a Lord thanks. Let me show you something else about the lessons of suffering. We are never allowed to be tried but with an eye to what improvement. Why the suffering? God has a purpose for the furnace in your life. Say amen by faith. Job said I shall come forth as gold. God's purpose here is to make me better and not bitter. You see, I have come to understand and appreciate. Here's a thought that I would convey to you. Trouble and adversity are not removed from the child of God until they have done their work in him or her. You let pain come for me for one hour and that's quite enough for me, God. You can just move it out. 
Can I get a witness to somebody? You let hardship come to me and I can only take about 30 seconds of that. And my plan for removing the trouble out of my life, if God will listen to me, is not to have any trouble at all. But God has a plan that says adversity and troubles are not removed from your life or mine until they have done their work in us. Amen. God let Job go through the loss of his wealth, the loss of his children, and the loss of his health because he wanted to show Satan that Job would be faithful if all he was was skin and bones. Can I get an amen here, somebody? And wasn't Job faithful? Amen. And so what I'm saying is, if you're going through a dark place, if you're going through a place of a lot of question marks on your head, if you're going through a stormy place in your marriage, if you're going through a stormy place in your body, or whatever ways you are attacked, if you will take it and not turn bitter. Can I get an amen here? If you will read the Bible anyhow, if you will pray anyhow, if you will go to church anyhow, if you will love anyhow, if you will forgive anyhow, can somebody say praise the Lord? That's some of the hardest advice to follow. I've had people telling me in past, and I won't use anybody here, and I don't want to betray confidence and, and use my pulpit or this pulpit to exploit somebody else's pain. But I've had people tell me that they knew that their partner might be involved in an illicit relationship. They're, they're married. How should I respond? I said, unless you have confirmation from that, and you know, continue to be a faithful husband or a faithful wife, and let God bring it to the surface. Vengeance is God's. Amen, church? My boss is not treating me right. I work extra, I do extra, but now somebody else has got a promotion that I was in line for, and they promoted somebody who is more an apprentice instead of me who is like a journeyman. What am I supposed to do? Love God, serve God, and bless God anyhow. Somebody ought to say, praise the Lord. Because God is the equalizer. God is the justifier. God is the one who takes care of His children. Oh, hallelujah. You know... There, there's this thing about struggle that will do something for us that other things will never do. I need to hasten by telling you. There was a man, I read, I read about a man who found an emperor moth. A type of butterfly in its moth stage. He found an emperor moth and he knew because of his knowledge of butterflies how beautifully glorious these butterflies can be in their maturity. But he found this moth in a cocoon. And all of us have seen the cocoons. Wrappings, little tubular, little shape, maybe as long as your index finger. And he took this cocoon, took it home, and placed it on a place where he could look at it in hopes of seeing how the moth would evolve through the cocoon and become a butterfly. And he looked at it for hours. And he saw the, the moth begin to struggle out of the cocoon. And the head came out gradually, and it was enlarged. And the upper part of the moth's frame came out and began to be enlarged but then nothing happened because the moth was still in the tightness and the binding of the cocoon and he thought to himself you know what this poor little moth is struggling I'll take me a pair of scissors very small scissors and very precisely and I will cut the cocoon open thus freeing the moth to come out and soar well he did that but in having done that the moth was only developed from the head to its half of its body. It never got to expand its wings because it never developed. And never got to soar and fly because the man didn't realize that in struggling through the cocoon, the fluid of the body from the head and the shoulders of, I'm, I'm talking figuratively now, needed to flow 
throughout the circulatory system of the mouth, the struggle of going through and wrestling and stopping and wrestling and stopping. It's like bodybuilding. Can I get an amen here? Would cause the moth to gain circulation through its body and it could soar above a tabletop and be a beautiful butterfly. And in, in, in thinking that he was helping, he was destroying. And I'm saying to you this morning that sometimes you need to say, God, don't take my problems completely away from me here if you're trying to grow me and develop me and mature me. Help me to survive in the midst of my problem. Can I get an amen? Don't take all my pain or all my suffering away if it's going to make me a better person of God. Help me through the struggle so I can soar on eagles' wings. Let, let me... Oh, my, 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 my. Let, let me show you that we are always... Tried, but for a purpose. Romans 5 and 3 says, But we glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. You ever feel like you can use a little more patience? Four or five of us. And patience, experience, and experience hope. What's God got trying to do? God's trying to say to us that the chastening, the suffering, no suffering or chasing of right now, chastening is joyful. No. I don't want to be hurting in my body. I don't want my marriage to come under attack. I don't want my kids to be of the wrong crowd and get involved with drugs and alcohol and sexual sins. I don't want a chastening. I don't, I don't want to see you suffer in your marriage. No, it's not joyful, but painful. Nevertheless, if you stay true to God, give me an amen. If you stay true, if you stay in church, if you read your Bible, if you get in a small group, if you get in a ministry, can I get an amen? If you come to Monday night men's prayer group sometimes, or Monday night Bible study, or Wednesday night Bible study, or you find a ministry and some place where you can use your talents and gifts, even in your pain, nevertheless, after the trouble, it ain't going to stay here all the time. That's the reason why the Bible says, and it came to pass. Can I get another Amen. It ain't going to stay here all the time. Afterwards, it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Let me show you something else. 2 Corinthians 4.17 For our light afflictions. I mean, thinking when you suffer, you know what? If you all are having surgery and I'm coming to see you, it's minor surgery. If I'm having surgery, it's major surgery. <laughs> Isn't that how we do sometimes? And here the apostle says, our light afflictions. Boy, he was qualified to say it though because he'd been beaten, pelted with stones, left deserted, imprisoned, left to die. And he says, our light afflictions, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding eternal way to glory. Yeah. I, I, I'm saying to you, oh Jesus help us. I'm suggesting to you that there are lessons in suffering. And let me, let me hurry and give you a couple more real quick. God's silence is not the same as God's absence. You know, you, you, somebody will say hallelujah. You know what the Holy Spirit taught me some time ago? And I want to teach you, and maybe I've taught it before, but not recently. Sometimes God does His greatest work when He appears to be silent. Sometimes God does His greatest work in His silence. And I, the case in point is Calvary. The case is point, in point is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, outside of the gates of Jerusalem. When wicked, evil, hateful murderers had Jesus beaten until his back was plowed and lacerated, his beard was 
plucked, his face was scarred, his visage was marred until one couldn't recognize him. He had to carry his own cross or a portion of it even though he was suffering. Almost naked. All of his dignity gone. Nailed to a cross. So horrendous it was until the sun wouldn't shine for three hours in the day. Earthquake took place under the cross. And still in the midst of that, there were mockers and scoffers. And Jesus himself wondered, where is my father? Why is he silent or absent? Seconds before he breathed his last breath, with all the strength he could muster, he yelled out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Interpreted, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, you think you've been through stuff? I think I've been through stuff. And God was silent. But God was doing his greatest work. It's called salvation. Had Jesus shown up, pardon me, had God shown up and took Jesus off the cross, you and I would have no hope for heaven. Sometimes God does his greatest work when you think he's not there. Oh, hallelujah. Let me tell you about the love of God. Job said, oh, that I knew where I might find him. That might come to his seat. I wish I, I wish I knew where he was. He's still there. I said, he's still there. I got to hasten you. One more thought. Because I want to bring you to the place of deliverance. We can and must praise God even when we are in pain. Go to the last chapter of the book of Job and I'm going to finish. 42, chapter 42. Are you there? Say amen. Verse number 10. Chapter 42, verse 10. And the Lord restored Job's losses. Say amen. And he did it when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Look at verse 12. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep. 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. <laughs> Look at something else. Verse 16. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. So Job died old and full of days. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you that Job made up his mind to praise God in chapter 1, before the whole thing got even worse. And what I'm saying to you this morning is that if you are going to get out of your suffering, it must begin with your respect and love and thanksgiving to God for now. Stand, please. I praise you, Jesus. Give us grace, Lord. Sing that. Long as Stand if you will. I won't keep you much longer, but if you... 
So tarry with me. I will praise you. Sing it with Pastor Zach. As long as I can see, I will see your invite you in a moment for your deliverance. I read this week of a tradition of Native Americans when, of course, this land was predominantly populated by American Indians. They had a tradition of transitioning boys into manhood, sort of a rite, R-I-T-E. And according to this tradition, 12-year-old boys would be blindfolded and be led into the depth of the woods and placed beside a tree to sit. And if the boy would sit there all night without removing the blindfold, he would be considered a man. But he would have to sit there aware that there were predators and possible enemies lurking around him all night blindfolded. And that would be hard to do because he would hear the rustling of leaves and maybe the moving of what he thought might be animals that would threaten his safety. But if he could stay there all night and keep the blindfold on and make it through the morning, he would discover that in the morning when he removed his blindfold, to his surprise, his father would be just a few feet away, poised with the weapon ready to protect him. He'd been there, quietly waiting, protecting all night, and the boy wasn't even aware of it. That's where God is in your soul. There. I am going to give you a wager, like Satan did God. I wager that if you'll step out in your pain and trust God, He will show up. I wager that you are not just serving God for good times only and things that only satisfy you. But I wager that you're going to serve God through thick and thin. And when you do, your blessings will come. I'm also going to wager that you can praise God in your pain. We can and must praise God in our pain. Ask Paul and Silas who was beaten near to death and thrown in jail and were, were locked up in the inner court of the prison and had chains around their, their wrists and chains around their feet. And the next day they were probably going to be given a trial and killed. But at midnight, Acts chapter 16, at midnight they sang hymns and psalms and the jailhouse began to shake and the chains fell out and the jailer and his family got saved and they had a water baptism service before the sun rose and they were free because you praise God even in your pain. Are you suffering? Leave from that pew and come and stand at this altar and get ready to praise God with me.
Come on, if you're suffering in any way, you lost a job, or you're looking for a job, or your children are not right, or your body's not well. Come on, come on. I expect this place to be crowded because it's free and it's God. Pastor, I come before. Come again. I wager that if you praise God because it's right and because you love God, I wager that before you leave here, that God's going to hook you up to His eternal joy. And He may help you an hour at a time, but that's, that's good enough until He gives you future blessing. Come on, keep coming. Come on. Pastor, I don't know about my marriage, but I'm coming. I don't know about my future, but I'm coming. I don't know about my children, but I'm coming to praise God anyhow. Somebody say praise the Lord. Come on, don't you be left out. Why go home? With the thing you brought. You didn't make it any better when you came. What makes you think you're going to make it any better if you go home with it? By faith, leave it at the altar. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, as long as I have breath, I'll praise you, Lord. Now, before you pray, look at me, everybody. And this is what I'm going to do. I know I'm running out of time. I already ran out. Look at me. When you, before you praise Him, do three things. Say, God, are you trying to reveal something to me in my suffering? Then show me. I want to learn it. Whatever I'm full of that it shouldn't be, take it out. Are you trying to educate me, reveal and educate me? Are you trying to prepare me, God? Because I'm not about to leave this valley here unless I'm a better man or woman or young person tomorrow. I want, if there's anything about me, before I blame my mother, before I blame my father, before I blame my wife, before I blame my boss or my preacher, I want to put myself right here, God. How many know Job had to repent before he get his act together? Yeah. God called Job on the carpet and said, you ran your mouth all this time. Now you listen while I talk. And Job said, beg your pardon, God. I uttered stuff I didn't know anything about. Can I get an amen here? Okay. So the freedom to begin to praise God begins in the inside of our searching and say, God, are you trying to reveal, educate, or are you trying to prepare me for something? Then do it. I present myself on the altar. And then I'm going to start praising you. Let's do it. Come on, let's raise our hands. All over the church, not just those on the altar. Come on. Say, God, give me revelation right now. Come on, pray in your own way. Come on, come on. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Yes, God. Oh, God, I get so wrapped up in my pain. I get so wrapped up, oh, God, and why won't you help me until I fail to learn my lessons? Teach me, Jesus. Oh, God, the hardest person to forgive sometimes is myself. But thank you for forgiving me. Come on, church. God, in that you've forgiven me, help me to forgive myself. Oh, Jesus, in that you've forgiven me and I'm forgiving myself, I want to forgive somebody else. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Heavenly Father, forgive me for griping and complaining and fussing and, and not understanding that you're trying to work in me. Work in me, Lord. I love you, Jesus. I praise you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah to Jesus. Now, God, in the name of the Lord, my Savior, Jesus, I pray over everyone in this house this morning. I praise you, God. I praise you that you are for us and not against us. Say amen, church. I praise you that we are the head and not the tail. Say amen, church. I praise you, Lord Jesus, because you have not gone away from us. Your ears are not deaf that you can't hear us, and your hands are not short that you can't reach us. Say amen, church. I praise you that, yeah, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me, my rod and my staff. You come for me. Somebody say praise the Lord. I praise you that this suffering is not going to kill me, but it's going to make me better. Say praise the Lord. I praise you, God, that because I'm forgiven, I can forgive somebody else. Say praise the Lord. 
I praise you, God, that if I don't have this job, I can get a better job because you give jobs. And you know what I need. Amen. I praise you, God. I know that even that marriage is over. I'd like to go back, but it may be over. But you direct my future, God. And if my marriage needs to be restored, then I'll wait on you in Jesus' name. I'm not going to cuss. I'm not going to swear. I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to blame. It's me. I need you, God. And I praise you because you hear me. Now put your hands together and give him thanks. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. I praise you with my hands. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Somebody say, hallelujah. Yes. 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 Okay. Let me show you something. Let me show you what works in the kingdom of God. The Bible says the way we get our blessings is to bear one another's burdens. The same devil that attacks me will attack him and vice versa. Same devil. Ain't no new devil, just a devil. So when Job prayed for his enemies, he started getting the victory and they started getting the victory. And I'm not calling anybody here the enemy, but I'm saying if you pray for each other, we all have the same enemy who is a devil. You may think I'm the only one in this boat. No, 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 no. Lay hands on somebody's shoulder beside you. Can you do that? I don't want to make you feel uncomfortable, but lay hands or take somebody by the hand. And right now, in the next 30 seconds to a minute, pray. Pray as if your prayer will get their victory. Come on. Oh, hallelujah. God, they may be going through the same storm. What you're going through, pray that they don't go through it. And if they are going through it, they'll be strong. Come on. God, I don't even know this lady. I don't even know this man. But you know this lady and this man. Shout out about this Come on, come on, come on. God, I understand that I can get blessed if I be a blessing. I understand that I can be picked up if I pick up somebody else who has fallen. Come on. God, I understand that when I'm comforted, you want me to comfort somebody else. Bless their marriage. Save their children if they're not saved. Heal their bodies. Come on. Give them a pay increase in due time. Help them to get out of financial bondage. Save, oh God, from the attack of Satan. Protect them on the road, in the house, at school. Come on, pray for each other. Oh God, help them to raise their children up. Help them to have food on their table, a roof on their head, clothes to wear. Come on, pray for each other. A car to drive. Help them to be a better father, a better husband, a better single adult, a better... Who, Papa? I love you, Jesus. Come on. Ten more seconds of it. I'm blessed because somebody's praying for me. I know Jesus is praying for me, but I got somebody else. Hallelujah to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, bless his name. What am I to Hallelujah. Now, give the Lord another clap of praise. And what a mighty God we serve.